and welcome. You are listening to B-Sides with Sam B. This is the sports talk show, which is yet to be named. My name is Sam Boland. Um, unfortunately, Ethan Conway isn't able to join us this week. He may be stopping in sometime later in the show just to make a brief appearance. Um, but he did leave us with some interesting food for thought. And, you know, because of that, it's a sports talk show. It's going to be food for discussion. So we will be kind of honoring his requests more or less while he isn't here um, not that he's calling the shots, believe me. Um, <laughs> but we are going to be talking about the Hawks and what happened to them this season. And likewise, I'll be making my NHL Stanley Cup playoff predictions. But first, um, as we do every week, we're going to be talking about our fridge-worthy moment of the week. It is our moment of the week that is most celebrated. Um, and I would have to say that as of... Our last episode, we officially been, have been put on Apple Podcasts, which is crazy because I started out doing this um, probably like a month ago just on live radio and started recording it just so I could start to build a resume. And we're on Apple Podcasts, which is awesome. We're making it. Pretty soon we're going to be running Barstool, hanging out with Pat McAfee. Um, I'll be on ESPN. The list goes on and on. Um, <laughs> but that is definitely a, uh, it's worth celebrating and I would print it out and put it on the fridge. Um, something before we get into our main topic of discussion that we need to talk about is the tragedy that we experienced not only in the hockey world this past week, not just the sports world, but just in, as, as Americans in our world. Um, for those of you that don't know, the Humboldt Broncos, they are a SJHL team. That's the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League. Um, they experienced, well, um, they, their team bus was on their way to a game. And when it was struck by a semi-truck and 15 players and coaches along with, well, died along with 14 injured. And... It's, it's been a tough uh, time for those families and for the hockey world in general. Um, but luckily, not luckily, but fortunately, a lot of people have reached out and it's made the hockey community really come together during this time. Um, the game following this incident uh, was between the Blackhawks and the Jets. And they had a moment of silence at center ice where everyone, teams, not, not just the Hawks on one side, the Jets on the other, they were intertwined with each other, um, stood in a circle for a moment of silence. They honored the, the victims and the players. Um, instead of wearing last names on their nameplate, they all put Broncos. As you always say, the name on the front of the jersey is a hell of a lot more important than the name on the back. And Broncos right there. Um, so it was, it's, it's been really cool just to see the hockey community come together for this. They've been doing um, sticks out for Humboldt where hockey players from around the country, around the world, are putting their hockey sticks out on their back deck, on their front deck, just lining them up for the players. Um, Jenna Fisher's kids, who uh, she played Pam on The Office, she put out there today that I mean, her kids are just high schoolers. Um, the other, one of them is younger, had their sticks on their front porch. and it, It's really tough, but it's been really really cool to see the sports community come together like that so I encourage you to just take some time this week and keep them in your thoughts and to think about that 
we're going to move on now. Um, something a little bit more lighthearted and talk about the Chicago Blackhawks and get into what happened with them this season. They won 50 games last year. They were the one seed going into the playoffs, and they got beat bad by the Predators in the first round, no less, which is, was a tough pill to swallow as a Blackhawks fan and for all Blackhawks fans in general. Um, and so they, they didn't make the playoffs this year, and we're going to just – I'm going to tell you why. We're going to talk about why and why, as a Blackhawks fan, you can be optimistic going into next season. So to start this off, the Chicago Blackhawks lost their number one goaltender, their, who has been around for two Stanley Cups. He's been in the, the, the system for a long time, Corey Crawford. He did not play 47 games this year. The last 47 games of this season, he was out since Christmas time. And any time a team in the NHL loses their number one goalie for like that long of a time, that's going to be it. They're not going to make the playoffs. That's just not going to happen. But what's worth noting isn't just that he was gone. It's everything else fell apart too. Because in past years, it's like, well, you know, Crawford's hurt. But these guys are all firing on all cylinders. They can, you know, keep it afloat until Corey comes back for the playoffs. But they didn't have the luxury of being able to do this this year. Um, and so it's kind of just an issue of, like, everything that could have went wrong for the Blackhawks went wrong this year. And it's no knock on, like, any of the players. Well, I mean, for some people it is a knock on the players. But any issue that could have happened for this team did happen. You had guys that weren't producing at their normal level. Patrick Kane put up 72 points. That's a crazy number of points. That's a crazy good, excuse me, 76 points. That's good. That's really good. But he normally puts up like 90, 100 something. And it's like these ridiculous numbers. And 76, he was disappointed with that. I mean, if you're the Blackhawks, yeah, you want more from Patrick Kane. Jonathan Tames, you know, he had an off year. He put up 52 points. He only scored 21 goals. Um, it's the, def the defense. They lost Jalmerson, and the defense, a lot of people say that they lost a step. But I'm here to kind of say, like, you know, people are freaking out, and it's, oh, yeah, Taves and Kane can't produce anymore. The defense doesn't have it. it you know, Seabrook and Keith are done. It's, it, it's not that to that extent, and I'm going to tell you why. These guys, whether they say they come out and say it or not, Duncan Keith let on to it. He didn't say, yeah, you know, players, they, they can't just throw a play. They can't throw another player under the bus. They can't say, yeah, well, we're not playing well because the goalie's not, doing, not carrying his weight. You can't say that. But Duncan Keith, after this season, did say that, yeah, it affected his confidence. It affected how he played the game, knowing that Corey wasn't back there. These guys... Keith scored. Keith was on the verge of having the worst shooting percentage in NHL history this year. Duncan Keith, Norris Trophy winning Duncan Keith with the worst shooting percentage in the league. It, that's, not, that's not Duncan Keith that we know. And I think a big factor in that is because he had Jeff Glass, he had J.F. Berube, he had Anton Forsberg, he had Connor Delia, I mean, Scott Foster <laughs> for... <laughs> Seven shots in one game, the emergency accountant who came in. Um, 
he didn't have all-star Corey, not all-star, but he didn't have Corey Crawford back there. Corey Crawford had the second best um, save percentage in the league before he got hurt. In the league, not just in the league. That, that is crazy good. And these guys are not at all to that level. And it's not like they're just coming in for one game, you know, they're, they're the second gave them a back-to-back. And, you know, they get the easy start, they play good. Or, you know, even if they play bad, it's like, okay, it's one game. These guys had to play 47 games between the four of them. And they're just, they're not goalies that are built to do that. They are not starting NHL goalies. And it showed. It absolutely showed in their playing with soft goals. You see Forsberg getting his own head. He got pulled six times. Anton Forsberg did. That's bad. That's really bad. He went 10, 16, and 4. And in six of those starts, he got yanked. You can't have that from your guy that's supposed to be, that was your number one for 47 games. That just can't happen. And because you have these kinds of goalies back there, you have guys like Keith, like Seabrook, who aren't jumping in on the rush when they normally would. They're not pinching, you know. They're not going to, the puck's coming out to the zone. They're not going to go pinch and keep it in. They're getting their asses back because they don't have faith in their defense. And so it's not that, you know, Keith lost his offensive touch. I mean, okay, two goals the whole season is pretty rough. Luckily, he did score that second one, so he keeps his name off of the worst shooting percentage in NHL history. But that's pretty rough. And so, you know, you can attribute all you want to that whole, yeah, these guys are losing a step. But I think a big factor, more than just, okay, they're getting older, is that they didn't play with the same confidence. They didn't play the same style of game. And they lost Nicholas Chalmerson. Nicholas Jalmerson was arguably your best defensive for, uh, defenseman, and you bring in Connor Murphy, who's not the same player. That was a that was a trade for cash, and it was a it was a good trade for cash, but it's not they're not the same because of that. They don't have those other guys that are helping pull the load. Keith and Seabrook had to play extremely different games this year than I've seen them play before, and I think it took a toll on them physically, and I think that they've just very different style hockey. And it just wasn't what we normally see out of them. And likewise, we, they weren't the players that we normally see. So defensively, that's where my, that's, those are my issues. Offensively is another story. You talk, about, you talk about Jonathan Taves this year, and a lot of people are getting on Jonathan Taves. Oh, rip the C off his jersey. If you hear that on Twitter, it's like, okay, relax. Um, he played 74 games. He had 20 goals, 32 assists for a total of 52 points, negative one plus minus. Um, he uh, he's 58 percent from the dot. That's not that's a, that's a pretty good faceoff number. Um, but you talk about him not playing to the offensive like capability that we've seen from him before and that you want to see from him. And my my reasoning. It was, last year it was okay. Well, he lost Brandon Saad, and Brandon Saad was who he had always gelled with. It was who he played his best. What he played when he was playing his best hockey was with Brandon Saad, and they, so they trade Panarin and they get Saad back. And Taves doesn't have the year that they wanted him to have, and everybody all of a sudden is okay. Yeah, well now Jonathan Taves is crap. What I think the reason for is for his falling off is that they lost Marion Hosa, and Taves is a captain who puts a lot pressure on himself I think he is just trying he was trying to be this year Jonathan Taves 
and Marion Hosa to make up for that loss. And you can't be Jonathan Taves and Marion Hosa. That just doesn't happen. Nobody can be Marion Hosa. Marion Hosa is Marion Hosa. There is no room for other Marion Hosas in this, in this league, in this world. They, don't, they just do not come along. And I think that got to him. I think that you lost, and then likewise, you lost Panarin, who is one of your top offensive scorers. And there's just so much pressure put on here that he wasn't able to be the player that he normally is. What I think needs to happen next year is this. Kane, or excuse me, Saad and Taves haven't worked out the way you wanted them to this year. Saad had an absolutely abysmal year scoring. He still put up 18 goals, but you don't want 18 goals out of Brandon Saad. You want him to be a top scorer on that top line. And to do that, I think you need to put Saad on a line with Schmaltz and Kane. Schmaltz, is one of your, Schmaltz and Kane are two of your best playmakers on the team. Kane can do anything with the puck. He can find anybody, anywhere. I don't, I don't need to explain to you what he can do. And Nick Schmaltz took an absolutely huge step forward this year. Huge step. These are guys with experience, the three of them. Schmaltz is, I mean, you want to say Schmaltz had experience. I mean, he's, it's, what, his second year in the league? So that's kind of, that's not the greatest um, thing to, to tell you he has experience. But it's not like, he, it's not like you want to put sound with these rookies either. Kane's been there. He's got three cups, okay? He offensively can do anything. I think he, along with the speed and playmaking of Nick Schmaltz, and Nick Schmaltz continues to take another step next year, will be able to help Saad's offensive game get back to where it was. And you can have him take on more of that Marion Hosa big body kind of role that the Hawks wanted to get out of him after they lost Hosa um, coming into this year. I think that that'll help Saad have a bounce back year. I think it's going to elevate the hell out of Schmaltz's play, and it'll bring Kane back to more of the potential that we saw out of him when he was playing with Artemi Panarin. Now on to Taves. That's in, this is your first line. Nick Schmaltz is your number one center now. It's not Jonathan Taves. Nick Schmaltz is your number one center. His faceoff percentage got much better this year. It's only up to 40%, but it's much better from where it was. He's your number one center moving forward. Jonathan Taves, I want to see in a two or a three, playing a similar kind of style that you see out of uh, Patrice, excuse me, Patrice Bergeron every year. You know, these two-way forwards, these defensive, you know, they're able to do it all out there in a similar way that Hosa did, where he could do it all. But Taves isn't Hosa. You can't make him be Hosa and Jonathan Taves at the same time, which is why I think we need to redefine what Jonathan Taves is. I think to help benefit him the most, you, you, Taves centers a line between Alex Dabrinkit, who's 20 years old. He scored, he led the team in goals this year with 28, 52 points, tied with Schmaltz and Taves for points, is a 20-year-old. One of the few plus, pluses on the team. Alex Dabrinkit at 20, and you put Vinny Hinnestrosa out there with him too. Another young guy who is 23, um, you know, it's only his third, it'll be his third year in the league next year. Um, had 25 points this year, seven goals, 18 assists. You need to, I think you need to put Taves out there with these two young guys who are fast, okay? Dabrinkit is absolutely, he's offensively crazy, okay? I said earlier when I was having a conversation that it's like he oozes offense. 28 goals, 24 assists, 52 points, a plus six, only six penalty minutes, only six only six, okay? He had 22 even strength goals, too. Only six on the power play. One of them was a game winner. I think that Dabrinkit's quickness and his offensive ability are going to help bring Jonathan Taves back up to the level that we saw him playing at before. 
and he'll be able to do that with Vinny Hinnestroza, who's fast, who can, you know, he can carry the puck into the zone, similar kind of, you know, quick, offensively-minded guy. And I think that that's going to take that offensive pressure off of Jonathan Taves, putting him with two guys like that, with the best scorer on the team, Alex Dabrinkit. I think that makes Taves be able to not be so fixated on, you know, goal scoring and stuff like that. And you can let him get back to that playmaking style that we saw out of him before. So many highlights of young Jonathan Taves setting people up and cutting through defenders and dishing it and seeing a goal happen. I think that if you put Taves with these two young guys, it'll help get his game back up to where we saw it. So that tops, that's my ideal top six moving into next year. And I think if that's your top six, Schmaltz takes that next step. Dabrinkit takes another step. Hina Stroza, Taves, Saad. Saad's not going to have another year like he had this year. Okay, people have bad years. He's going to have a bounce back season. And there's, it, that's just the nature of the game. Likewise, I see the same exact thing happening with Taves. And I think if this is your top six moving forward, it's a very good top six. It can match up against anybody because of you know, the size of Saad and Schmaltz and the size of Hinnestroza and Taves and just the, playmaking, the playing of Taves in general. I think that's huge moving forward, and I think that's one of my keys for the Blackhawks being good next year. But it's not my first key. My first one is going to be defense. And not just defense, but the defensive play in front of Corey Crawford. If there's no Corey Crawford, there is no defense. And so let me rephrase that and say that Corey Crawford being healthy and the Blackhawks having a steady position at goaltender is my biggest thing going into next season because with no Corey Crawford this team will not make the playoffs or with the current goaltending situation this team will not miss a, not make the playoffs if Corey Crawford was on a team this year they would have made the playoffs they wouldn't be contending but they would be in there they would be at worst a wild card spot okay they were they were hang they were right there with Colorado when Crawford got hurt this is not how this season would have gone if Corey Crawford is there. So number one is you need Corey Crawford. He's, he's proven to be the most indispensable player on this team, the most important player on this team, and you need him back. You need him healthy next year. <coughs> Excuse me. That's my number one thing. Number two is this defense. If Crawford is there, it alleviates a lot of the stress and pressure that were put on Keith and Seabrook this year, and that's going to help them – even though they have lost a bit of a step, it's going to help them be better th next year than they were this year. Also, another key for me is because of the loss of Jalmerson, Connor Murphy needs to be better than he was this year. He, he wasn't bad, but he needs to be better. What he did this year will not cut it next year if this team wants to contend for a, stand, a, a fourth Stanley Cup since 2010. 4-9 is not bad, okay? 3-6 <laughs> was amazing. Four and nine is not bad. Likewise with this defense, or similarly, I should say, with this defense, is they need the prospect Henry Yokiaru. I believe it's Yokiaru. I mean, he's not listening, so it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> you need him to be NHL ready next year. And it's scary because you think, okay, this guy, he's a, he's a rookie, by the way. He's a young, young rookie. You saw it happen in Boston this year where they brought a rookie defenseman in and it worked. But the... the Rookie defensemen are not like bringing in rookie offensive players. Alex Brinkett's transition was just spectacular. It was something else. Um, Patrick Laine over in Winnipeg, his transition into the league, he's a goal-scoring machine. You know, I don't need to provide more examples. Austin Matthews, Connor McDavid. These guys come into the league ready to play. 
but it's different with defensemen. Defensemen have to get like more acclimated to this, and <coughs> it's a lot harder to do. But if the Hawks want to contend next year, Henry Yokiaru is going to have to do it. He's going to have to come in, training camp, work his ass off, and be an NHL-ready defenseman next year for this team. And not just NHL-ready. I'd like to see him playing, like, top four minutes, power play, like, offensive zone minutes. I think, he, I think it could happen. I think it would be absolutely huge for the Blackhawks. Um, and I think that is a big, big key on defense for them next year and is a team next year moving forward. So my three, goaltending, defense, and that top six being a better top six. You're going to have no issues with those bottom nine guys. I think that you're going to see Tommy Wingles. He's in Boston right now. I think you'll see him come back. He's, a, he's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. He's a big Chicago guy. I think that Anisimov, you will see him go, but you have younger guys like Kampf, um, Yurko, um, Hayden. Hayden will be a big guy next year. I think Duclair is an RFA, and we saw, we saw such a small sample size of him this year. And even if you include his Arizona time, I think Anthony Duclair will be back in a Blackhawks uniform next year. I think he will contribute. He's another young guy. Um, he's a part of the Ponick deal, if you remember that. That happened earlier this season. Um, he got hurt off a Marchand hit, which was dirty. Um, the Hawks played the Bruins the next game, and Marchand sat out with an upper body injury, which isn't, which is kind of bullshit. But I think that uh, you'll see him back next year, and I think that it would not hurt the Blackhawks just because we're talking about free agency to bring in one more defenseman and somebody to play goalie, not just. Um, you know, you, you can't be content with the supporting cast and goal for Corey Crawford that we had this year. I don't know um, exactly who it will be that you'll see come in to back him up next year, but it's going to need to be somebody that's a proven NHL player in the league that you can bring in um, to just eat up those games. And you know Crawford's going to get hurt. You know you need somebody back there to help him out. And I think that you're going to see the Blackhawks bring in a different goaltender this year. Or, and if they don't, they better, you better see Anton Forsberg be a completely different guy next year than he was this year because mentally, he just does not have it. Fundamentally, um, I've read countless things about goalie coaches saying, like, he is, like, one of the most fundamentally sound goaltenders we've seen. Like, he should be good at this level. But he gives up soft goals, and mentally, he just gets in his head. Like I said, he's been pulled six times this year, so they're going to need to evaluate their options and think about bringing in another person to help back him up. And I also think that, uh, like I said, um, you know, free agency, defense-related, you're going to see the Hawks need to bring in another defenseman this offseason just to help carry the load. You've had a lot of loss, and some of these guys haven't panned out exactly the way you thought, and <clears throat> you're not going to get a Carlson-type player because he's going to want a big contract. And have you watched any of the Stan Bowman interviews? Um, he had said that uh, the Hawks' biggest concern is keeping guys around like Kinnestroza, like Schmaltz, like Dabrinkit. And they're all on rookie contracts, but pretty soon they're not going to be, and they're going to be asking for some money. And you're going to need to be able to pay them, so you're going to have to bring in somebody. I don't know if you're going to get them on a pay cut, but you're going to need, to help, you're gonna need some help on defense, and I think you're going to see an Anisimov move, either for a defenseman or for a goalie, or just for some cap space to help out because 
the issues back there have really been shown this season on that side of the, uh, I was going to say on that side of the ball, but I don't know, that side of the puck. Um, and you're going to need to clog those holes next year. So those are my keys for uh, Blackhawks on what's happened and uh, what went wrong and why we're optimistic because we got a lot of young guys, six uh, rookies made their debut this year. Well, seven counting Jeff Glass, but he's not really young enough. He had six guys make their NHL debut. Seven guys scored their first NHL goal. Um, there's just the youth movement surrounding these guys, and it is just crazy. The talent around them is crazy. Um, you saw the Blackhawks start this season as like the 27th or like 23rd oldest team in the league, and they're up to top 10 now after moves they made throughout the season. Top 10 youngest. From 27th oldest to top 10 youngest, which is nuts. Um, so that's encouraging. You have a lot of young guys surrounding this, this core that's getting older, but I don't want to call them aging because it's just like that's just such a negative connotation behind it. You have a lot of young guys here to, to help support this cast, and they're making up that new core that we will see in the future. And keep in mind with this, the Hawks have an okay chance at winning a uh, lottery pick or moving up in the draft. If they don't, the worst they can pick is 10th, which is still not bad. They're projected at seven right now, but if you see them move around, they might be able They can get Rasmus Dahlin. They can get, you know, a good defender. And that, too, will help, you know, these guys in the future. So the window on the Blackhawks has not closed. It's still well open. Been a tough year this year, but you got to stick with them. Catch them next year. Watch Patrick Kane. Watch Alex Debrinkit at Worlds. Um, Schmaltz and Saad may be going. So there's a lot to look forward to as a Blackhawks fan, a lot to be optimistic about. Um, yeah. But I will say, if you see Corey Crawford have this head injury linger on longer than we had anticipated, and if this becomes a career thing, the Blackhawks are heading to a, a dark place. So keep your fingers crossed for him. Keep him in your thoughts. Um, let's hope to see him back and healthy at the start of next year. We are going to take a break, um, put on a little bit of music. So I will catch back with you shortly. This has been uh, B-Sides with Sam B, the sports talk show, which is yet to be named. I'll see you in a minute. And we are back here. We are. I'm going to go ahead and preview my Stanley Cup playoff predictions. Um, Ethan left us in haste, unfortunately, but that's all right. Um, we are. I'm going to start out with the. Um, oof. <sighs> I'll start in the West first. Um, and for the reason of it parlaying into a question we had in from Sam Nunez. So this is going to be, we're actually going to start in the bottom left half of the bracket um, with, with Vegas and LA first, and we'll get up there and we'll talk about Nashville a little later. But I want to I get into Vegas because I had a question come in asking me, okay, wh like what happened? How is an expansion team this good? Um, and honestly, there's, there's a lot of reasons, but... <laughs> I'm not sure any of them are, I have a real enough answer for, for that, for any of them. Um, 
This is the first time an expansion team has made the playoffs in their first year since the league went from six teams, the original six, to 12 teams in 1967. That's, that's a long time. It's over 50 years. Um, th- these guys, Vegas rolls, they roll four lines. They're three defense, they're three pairings deep. Um, they have one of the most aggressive four checks in the league. And because of that, they just a lot of long offensive possessions, um, just kind of like wear out the defense. I think a, a really big factor is the breakout play of uh, William Carlson this year from Columbus. I I read an interview he did with somebody um, right that had been right after they played Columbus, where he uh, he had two goals against his former team, and it just sounds like the the feeling and the energy in the locker room in Vegas is just these guys are just having fun. And that's something that the coach had said in the beginning is I, I don't, I don't care wh- what happens this year. I don't know what's going to happen this year. I want you guys to go out and have fun. And that's evident in the way that they're playing. Absolutely. Um, there's a quote from the captain of Columbus, uh, Nick Felino. He said that they play arrogant, which is a compliment. Um, they're, they're making behind the back passes. Like, in the zone, they're doing a bunch of they're, they're play, it's like they're playing out of their minds. Like they just don't care about the consequences. Um, just like balls to the walls kind of hockey. And it's entertaining. And I mean they got Marc Andre Fleury, who is a three time Stanley Cup champion. He has three more Stanley Cups than the rest of the team, which is, is a zero if you you're struggling on that math. Um and he's just he contributes to that because you look at the coach saying, all right, hey, I want you guys to go out there, have fun. We don't know how this season's going to go. Um, and Flurry is the perfect guy that you want to have in your locker room if your goal is that. He's like, he'll be, um, I, I, I read something about him, it was just after an All-Star game, about how he will narrate games, you know. He'll, he'll just yell, poke check, or different things like that, or, you know, he'll stop a breakaway or something, yell, hey, nice try, you know, maybe next time. And the dude's just hilarious, and it's no it's no wonder he was so loved in Pittsburgh, and you saw when he was back there this year, like, you know, the flower chants, all the signs, the jerseys, like, he's an icon. He's one of the funnest, like, players in the league, one of the most enjoyable to watch, for sure. I remember him, like, literally standing on his head in an all-star game shootout, um, just balancing up there for fun. And he's just, he's a character. He's a leader. Carlson is a leader. Um, and I think it's a huge, huge difference maker for this team. And further than just them being leaders um, and, you know, that whole culture, these guys all have, like the fun culture, these guys all have chips on their shoulders because they were ditched by their former NHL teams. They all, more or less, are kind of like rejects. Um, and they they play like it. They play like they don't give a shit and, like, they're pissed off. And it's fun. Um, I... I saw something about um this is this was Carlson talking that they they give each other like they chirp each other they give each other crap during games just like hey they didn't want you and you know Carlson comes back oh hell yeah they didn't and it's it's entertaining and it's one of the most special stories in sports right now um that's probably a stretch but it's it's a really enjoyable really strange story in sports and I'm gonna pick them to lose in the first round against the Kings in seven games um because I don't want to hear about it anymore. I I had my fill. I was excited. I was loving it. And I don't know. To see him make a run would be absolutely, it'd be crazy enjoyable. But because I want to see the Hawks in a wild card spot and the Hawks make a run next year, 
and I see a lot of parallels between the Kings and the Hawks. I'm picking the Kings in seven games, and I think a big, big factor of that is Anze Kopitar being one of the league's most, in my opinion, one of the most underrated players in the league. He's he's, he's a Jonathan Taves-like two-way center. Um, he, play, he put up 92 points this year, which is 40 more than he did last year. And if you want to do the math, um, this is kind of fun. Taves put up 52 points this year. That's how many Kopitar put up last year. So keep that in mind next year when you're watching Blackhawks fans. Um, I, I think Kopitar and the Kings are uh, – he's a difference maker for the Kings, and I see them winning. And I think it's going to be a great rivalry to kind of watch happen. Um, Anaheim and San Jose are, is the next matchup in that bracket and I can see this going either way um unfortunately for me the reason I chose I I, I saw it going to seven games no matter who who what the outcome is the Sharks are uh 3-0-1 in the season series but two of those wins are in overtime um which is in my opinion worth noting and the Ducks are 10-1-1 over the last 12 games and they passed the Sharks in the standings in that stretch to take uh home ice and I think that home ice is going to be the difference in this one I mean if I, if I I get pissed off watching Ducks games because of that goal horn, and I would be I'd be unhappy in that building here in that thing. Um, I I think the Ducks are gonna beat the Kings. Excuse me, the Ducks are gonna beat the Sharks in that matchup in seven games. Moving up to the other uh, one in wild card matchup, it's Nashville and Colorado, which is an amazing amazing story. Um, talking about the Avalanche, Nathan McKinnon is a heart. In my opinion, he's a heart finalist, um, or candidate rather um they had 48 points last year as a team and now they are in the playoffs which is a crazy crazy turnaround it's similar like to the complete 180 that the hawks did in the wrong direction um so encouragement there too as a fan and amazing to see nathan mckinnon just kind of put the team on his back unfortunately predators are probably the deepest team in uh one of two of the deepest teams in the playoffs this year um P.K. Subban, is, uh, he, he could win a Norris. Um, Rene could win a Vesna. Forsberg and uh, Arvidsson are just fantastic forwards. Um, and I, I can't stand this group of guys. They just got Ryan Hartman. Ryan Hartman is an energy guy that can throw his body around, piss people off, um, similar to the way uh, Dave Bowen would do. It's like if Andrew Shaw didn't take stupid penalties, um, Dave Bowen would kind of annoy pe- annoy people and, you know, get under people's skin and they'd go at him and they know oh, two minutes for roughing. And it's like, and, and Bowen's just smiling on the bench. And it's a similar thing you saw a lot of times happen this year when Hartman was in a Hawks jersey where he's just out there pissing people off, playing his game. And I don't know. I, I think surprisingly, not maybe not surprisingly, but I think he's going to be a difference maker for them in that series. And I think Nashville is going to win um, in five games. And moving on, I think uh, Winnipeg and Minnesota. I think Winnipeg is going to sweep them. I, I think they're going to shock Minnesota. I don't think it's going to be close. Um, the offensive firepower on that team is pretty ridiculous. I think the Jets are legitimate cup contenders. Um, Blake Wheeler, Patrick uh, Line, Ellers, Stasny, um, Connor Hellybuck having a ridiculous season just kind of carrying them into the playoffs. I don't know. I think, <coughs> excuse me, I, I think the Jets are going to sweep them, win that series, and I think they're going to crush the uh, Predators' hopes of going back to the Cup Final, and they're going to be meeting um, the Kings 
in the conference finals is my my West pick is Jets Kings with the Jets going to the cup. So do with that what you may, and when the Kings lose in the first round and Vegas has a Stanley Cup over their head, you can add me to the list of doubters just like everybody else who doubted Vegas in uh beginning of the year. So Jets Kings, Western Conference Finals, Kings are going to the or Jets are going to the cup. Heading to the East, Tampa Bay and New Jersey. Similar kind of thing here that we had going on with uh, Nathan McKinnon carrying more or less the Avalanche into the playoffs. Avalanche, by the way, great jerseys this year. The only Adidas jersey that I'm really happy about that changed. Um, they went back to that older, like when the Av- when the Avalanche won the Cup, they went back to that kind of like style uniform. That's good stuff. That's all I have to say. Um, but Taylor Hall for New Jersey carried these guys into the playoffs. He's a North, or excuse me. He's a heart candidate for me. Um, might be who I pick. He's got ninety three points. Um, those are forty one more than anyone else on the team. On the team, not even like it just. Uh, it's it's a, it's ridiculous how much or how good he is and how good he's been since he left Edmonton. Um, but Tampa Bay also a cup pick for a lot of people. You talk about heart candidates, Nikita Kucherov as always. He's um, or, I mean, he's got that move uh, <laughs> in the shootout or on breakaways. It's just nasty. Um, we saw him do it to uh, Holtby a few times this year. Um, Victor Hedman is always a Norris candidate. I don't know. I, I, I see uh, Tampa Bay winning this one in five games and not taking, not having too much trouble putting away New Jersey. And then uh, we're heading over to that Boston-Toronto matchup, which is super fun. If you recall back to 2013, um, <laughs> Toronto being ahead in that series, <coughs> blowing the series, being ahead three to one in Game Seven, with 13 minutes left, and Boston winning in overtime. There's only four guys left on that uh, Toronto team, but Mitch Marner was a fan back in the day. A um, couple other guys were Toronto fans, and that that still stings years later. And I'm sure these guys, it's in the back of these guys' head, they wanna reverse history um and for that reason alone I I think this is kind of a tough matchup for Toronto I think if they would have played somebody else they might have been able to make a run um but uh, for that there's just the fact that it's Boston and Boston can play any game they can knock you around they can play fast with you with uh Pasternak who's just fast and great offensive threat um so they can play any any style game you have Bergeron uh having another just all-around solid year, as always. Marshan, who's just an asshole, but so good. Um, Zayden Ochara. These guys are all experienced. They've been there before. I see them winning in uh, in seven games based on not skill for the Maple Leafs, but just the fact that these guys are going to be mad and they're going to push it, but Boston's going Boston's gonna to get out of that. And then we're heading down to the bottom right, talking about the Capitals and the Blue Jackets. Capitals are tough uh, in the playoffs. They they can't seem to do anything um, past the second round, which is just unfortunate for Alexander Ovechkin. If you like him, it's great. If you hate him, he's been known as you know a, a dirtier player in the league. Personally, I mean, I see it sometimes, but I just think it's like it's a similar style to like Russell Westbrook in the NBA. Is it's you know. He's just so good. People just hate him. Um, 
he throws his body around and it's it's a lot of weight it's a lot of weight that's hitting you but I, I don't know that, that necessarily I don't know that I would constitute him as uh being one of the dirtier guys but he's gonna help lead the Blue Jackets out of this first round in six games and Artemi Panarin you know Felino. I'm sorry <laughs> um I don't see the Blue Jackets doing making much noise in this uh Again, the playoffs this year, I see Washington moving on to the second round and losing to Pittsburgh, who I'm picking in six games over Philadelphia, which is a shame because of the way that Philadelphia sports have gone this year. You'd love to see Philly go win a Stanley Cup. I mean, the, the just the state of Pennsylvania would probably burn to the ground, not even uh, not even the city. But Pittsburgh, for me, if Pittsburgh and hockey is a big brother. Um, it to them and um, Malkin having a hell of a year. Murray, you know, it's it's the same cast of guys that are there year in and year out. They're trying to these guys are on a mission to repeat um, three Stanley Cups for the first time since the eighty eighty three Islanders. Um, I don't know. It's it's a stupid argument to say that they've been there, but they have been. They have three scoring lines. Malkin, Malkin, Crosby, and Kessel are across three lines, and I I wouldn't want to play against any of them. <laughs> Um, so it's just tough to pick against, uh, Pittsburgh here, even though Claude Giroux had a 102 point season and kind of helped carry them too. But Pittsburgh in six for me, I see Pittsburgh and Boston meeting in the conference finals and I see, uh, Boston winning that game or not that, not just that game. They're going to win four of those games. They're going to go to the Stanley cup and they're going to win four more. Boston's my pick for the, uh, Stanley cup this year. Maybe we owe it to them after 2013 as a Blackhawks fan, but I see Boston over Winnipeg, and I'll, t- I'll tell you it's in, we'll say it's in six. Um, that's my pick. I'll give the, uh, I'll give the uh, MVP to, give it to Bergeron. We'll see what happens. Um, this has been a sports talk show. You have to be named. My name is Sam Boland. Uh, next week, feel free to at me on Twitter. It is sboland36. You know, ask me some questions. We'll get to talking. I'd like to give a shout out to uh, Angela Boland, Katie Boland, uh, James Boland, Dan Boland, Patty Boland, who is Patty Flanagan on Twitter, who uh, who uh, mentioned um, the loss of Hosa and Jalmerson today about the Blackhawks woes and the fact that Taves can't be Marion Hosa and Jonathan Taves at one time, and he can't, and he isn't going to be able to he's not going to be able to be in the future um so we'll see how next season plays out i encourage you all to stick around and uh tune in next week when we'll be we'll be talking about a week in from uh the stanley or from the nhl playoffs so watch some hockey tonight it's on at uh 7 and 10 eastern time um it's been a pleasure guys thanks so much for tuning in that's all I got. Here's uh here's Greta Van Fleet doing a Sam Cooke song, and if you think it's not tasteful, I don't really care. Thanks. <laughs>